You may not have heard of Robert Robinson, but you've, uh, you've, you're familiar with his hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Maybe you know also, especially uh, uh, the fact that um, he says in that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Perhaps you've often had that uh, upon your lips as you've prayed. You've been conscious that that's, uh, that's our tendency, it's, it's my tendency, prone to leave the God I love. And maybe you know that uh, he drifted himself. He wrote this hymn and... Uh, and then he drifted into any number of problems, and Unitarianism being one of them, which is a denial of the Trinity, serious problems. The story is told that uh, after he had drifted from God, he's riding along in a stagecoach, and he notices that there's a woman engrossed in a hymn book, and... Uh, she turns to him and, and asks him whether he's familiar with the hymn that she's been humming. And uh, he bursts into tears and says, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then, of course, he's talking about this hymn. She was humming this hymn in his presence, unaware that he had composed it many years ago prior to drifting. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, that's certainly a tendency and certainly a danger, and that's the kind of thing that's been going on with the Laodiceans. And you know that uh, the Lord Jesus says that they... They are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. Probably there's a sort of a tip of the hat to the water supply in Laodicea because apparently, unlike uh, surrounding cities, sometimes the water that they got was fairly warm because of hot springs and others be fairly cold because of uh, um, the water supply that they had. But, but for the Laodiceans... And given the distance that water had to be brought for them, their water was lukewarm. So maybe that was the, the image that uh, the Lord Jesus chooses to utilize. But the point is, it's, it's the state of the church that he's talking about. They are neither hot nor cold. And so the church has drifted. The people have grown lukewarm, prone to wonder. Well, they have wandered. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, that's what's happened to the Laodiceans. And I wonder if, perhaps in some measure, it's true of you or me. Oh, nothing desperate, nothing... We've not become Unitarians. But there's a cooling down. Uh, there's... There's a sense that we're at a low ebb. 
as an individual Christian, you're feeling, well, your heart has grown a little cold. You're, you're not taking great strides. You're kind of just limping along, <clears throat> finding yourself more excited about lesser things, unimportant things, things that perhaps years ago would not have thrilled your heart, but now it's kind of thrilling your heart. And the things that used to excite you in terms of spiritual things, that's you find yourself strangely unmoved. And, um, well, if that's how you're feeling, at least in some measure, and even if you're not, I have something wonderful and exciting to say, and that is that the Lord Jesus wants to have a closer walk with you. So even if, even if things are going well, the fact of the matter is the Lord Jesus wants to walk even more closely with you. And if you have drifted, well, the Lord Jesus wants to walk closely with you. That's what the text is saying. That's what our Lord Jesus is telling them and telling us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Of course, the same is true of she. Now, your reaction to a knock depends on who's doing the knocking. And um, sometimes your heart sinks because the person, the dreaded person, is at the door. And you don't greet that with any great excitement at all. And sometimes your heart soars because the people that you love more than life itself, they're there. And you hear their knock, and that's well, really exciting. Well, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. You couldn't have any better person knocking at the door of your heart. No greater person can be knocking at the door of our church saying, I want to walk more closely with you. No more wonderful person could knock at the door of your heart and say, I want to have a more intimate relationship with you. No greater person than this person. So let me tell you about him. And Lord willing, we will oh, be stirred to have a, a more close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he like then? The one who knocks tonight at the door of our church and who knocks tonight at the door of your heart. Because make no mistake, that's exactly what's happening. This is not, this is not filler. You know, this is not something, well, we've got to fill up the evening tonight with something, might as well be this. No, no, this is God who in his providence bring this text, brings this text to our minds and sets it before our eyes so that he might have a closer walk with you. This is the Lord speaking to us in his word tonight, saying to us, open up the door. I will come in and I will sup with you. I'll have a meal of intimacy with you. And we will walk closely through this world together. He's knocking at your heart and mine. What's he like? Well, he's glorious. This is no ordinary person who's knocking at the door of your heart. 
He's glorious. We know that because, well, the rest of Scripture, but also verse 14, these are the words of the Amen. The words of the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. He is the embodiment of faithfulness and truth. He's the guarantee of all of God's promises. All the promises that God makes to His children, the Lord Jesus is the guarantee of the fulfillment of those promises. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. You see, God promises. He promises forgiveness, initial forgiveness of all our sins, ongoing forgiveness because we're going to keep sinning. So if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So you sin today as we certainly have. We can go to God. He promises He'll forgive us. He promises forgiveness. He he promises strength, strength for the day, strength to face tomorrow. He promises peace. He promises grace. He promises that he'll be present. I'll be with you right to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when you feel that I've left you, and when you feel forsaken, that's wrong. Trust me, believe me, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. That's the promise of God. And what this text in 2 Corinthians 1 is saying, that all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. He's the guarantee that God will fulfill His promises. And you can look at all the promises, and you can check each and every one and say, yes, in Christ That is guaranteed to be fulfilled. That person who is the amen, the embodiment of faithfulness and truth, is knocking at your door and says to you, I want to walk more closely with you. I want to have a more intimate relationship with you. Isn't that astounding? It's absolutely amazing. And then he's the truth. He's the amen. And he's the truth. That verse 14 says he's the faithful and the true witness. Everything he tells us is true. Every word he says is true. Sometimes you read stories and you watch shows and you see someone in a courtroom swear up and down that what he's going to say is the truth and then they lie like a trooper. And you think... Where do you get the nerve to do that? And yet the fact of the matter is that the devil is a liar and his people are children of their father and they lie. And the world in which we live is just inundated with lies. And sometimes even people in the world recognize it. Billy Joel wrote a song years ago called Honesty. And he says, honesty is such a lonely word. It's a lonely word. Everybody's so untrue. If you've lived for any length of time, and the longer you live, the more profound is your experience of this. People are liars. They just don't tell the truth. Sometimes they fudge a little bit. 
And sometimes they just indulge in barefaced lies. That's the world in which we live. And some of them have great influence. And some of them get on television. And some of them stand behind lecterns. And some of them broadcast and have podcasts. And they share their lies with the world. And they do so unabashedly and unashamedly and with vigor and sometimes with great skill. But who's standing at the door of our hearts tonight? Well, it's the embodiment of truth. He's able to say, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And I want to get to know you better. I want you to get to know me better. I want you to walk more closely with me. I want you to be nearer to my heart than you've ever been in your life. And that's the Lord Jesus. And the Bible, of course, is his word. This is the word of Christ inspired by the spirit of Christ. And so everything in this book, it's his word. And so everything in this book is infallible, inerrant, will never mislead and never uh, misguide you. No, everything in the Bible is true. We can trust his book. So who's standing there and who wants to draw nearer to us? Well, he's the amen and he's the truth. And thirdly, he's the creator. We're thinking about the fact that the one knocking at the door is glorious. Well, you see, he's the creator. Because we're told he's the beginning of creation. And the word beginning there doesn't mean what the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you talk to them, doesn't mean what they think it means. They think, well, he's the first one who was created. He's the beginning of creation. But it has a semblance of plausibility about it. But they are amongst those people I was saying earlier. They lie. They don't think they're lying. I dare say that they, in all sincerity, peddle their falsehoods. But it's not true. The word beginning here means something like source, something like origin, that by which something begins to be. He's the beginning of creation. You see, he's the source of creation. It is because of him and from him that this came to be. It would not have come to be had it not been for him. And we read from John 1 that um, there's nothing that exists, nothing has come into existence except that he has created it. He's the source of everything. He's the beginning of everything. And that's what this text is saying. It also, this word, has the idea of rule and authority and first place. He has uh, the place of beginning. He is first and foremost in everything. So he's the source of it all. And he's the most important part in it all. And he has authority over it all. And so how foolish are these Laodiceans to think, well, you know, we've arrived. Sometimes Christians can unthinkingly drift into that kind of feeling and mentality. Well, you know, we've, we don't really need much. We are so full of resources, 
I know so much. My theology is all neatly packed. My I's are dotted and my T's are crossed. And I have my books and I can answer the questions and nothing you can throw at me that's going to, going to throw me off balance. No, no. I've got my theology and I've got my hymnology and I've got my ecclesiology and I'm all set and I'm just fine. And they start to feel that, oh, you know, they're quite self-sufficient. Thank you very much. And we can start to think like that, you know, but when the Creator knocks at the door and says, I want to be closer, you have some issues and I need to deal with them. And you're a little, you have a sense of self-sufficiency that needs to be dealt with and you need to be cut down to size a little bit. Well, you see, the Creator Himself, upon whom we are wholly and entirely dependent, He's knocking at the door. So who stands at the door? Well, you'll never have a greater guest. You'll never have a more important, important person knocking at the door. If the Prime Minister and the President and the King of England stand together at your doorstep and knock on your door, you'll never have a greater assemblage of persons than when Jesus stands there. And that's what he's doing. That's what's happening tonight. It's the Lord saying to you, we need to draw closer. Well, he's, he's glorious. Secondly, he's insistent. He's insistent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, the tense of that verb means this. not stopping. It, it just keeps going. And that happens at your home and someone's knocking at the door. Sometimes one of my kids will come to the door and he will just ring the bell. Did this on Saturday. Just rang the bell. Just ding, 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 And is deeply aware that this is the response inside. Well, to be honest, that's the tense of this verb is that. It's not stopping anytime soon. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock and I keep knocking until you answer. Now, under almost every other circumstance, that's deeply annoying. In this circumstance, it's astounding. Because of who it is, and because of the intent, it's God, a very God, and the intent is to bless you. He keeps knocking because he wants you to be blessed. He keeps knocking because he wants to cultivate a deeper relationship with the creature. The creator wants to draw nearer to the creature, and so he keeps knocking, and he won't give up. It's absolutely astounding, because it means that that close walk is important to Jesus. 
He wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't important to him. Well, he keeps knocking at your door because it's important to him to be close to you. It's not a matter of indifference. It's a matter of importance. It's a matter of delight to him to have close fellowship with you. How extraordinary that it's significant to him, the state of your relationship with him. I mean, just think about that phrase. It's significant to Jesus what the state of your relationship is with him. Given who he is, and given who we are, he might well say, I don't care. If you want to drift, drift. But you see, that's not the Lord. So he keeps going, and he keeps knocking, and he keeps... Well, he's as insistent about the state of our relationship now as he is about what we will enjoy in the future. In John 17, 24, he prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he prays to the Father and he says, what I want is that they may be with me where I am. So it's important enough that in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he articulates that particular petition and asks God that you may be with him there. He is equally insistent that your relationship with him today may be more profound than it's been yesterday. That's absolutely amazing. And that's why this insistent knocking, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Well, then he's gracious. That's another aspect of this one who's at the door. He's he's gracious. Because you see, he's not interested in some kind of passing acquaintance. Hi, how are you? Doing all right? Great, keep it up. I'll see you next year. No, what he wants is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and then if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We were in Italy some years ago, and we were at a restaurant, and it started, I think, like it's 6 o'clock this meal, and it ended like 10.30. And at different points, I'm thinking, oh, we've got to get going here because no place in particular to go, mind you. Nothing actually on the agenda, but I just felt I need to finish and need to move. And that's just the way my mind works, and probably yours does too. But the actual meal was so leisurely. It's like, relax. Have a little bit of this. Have some of that. Taste that. Add some more thickening to your arteries. Go ahead. (laughs) Do that. And it's that kind of thing the Lord's talking about. It's something leisurely. It's something that takes time. It's something where you sit back. It's really engaging. It's really getting to know. It's that kind of thing. 
And your response to that is to say what we read in verse 8 of Psalm 27. You have said, seek my face. My heart says, your face, O Lord, do I seek. We see the Lord wants intimate fellowship. He doesn't want uh, just a, a casual, distant relationship. He wants something intimate. John Flavel says, now, you strive for that then too. If, if the Lord wants that, surely your response should be as the psalmist. And you seek his face, even as he's seeking to get inside the door so as to cultivate that relationship. And Flavel says, well, now, you strive to come up to the highest attainment of communion with God in this world. And be not contented with just so much grace as will secure you from hell. Labor after such a height of grace and communion with God as may bring you into the suburbs of heaven on earth. You don't want just the ticket out of hell and a ticket into heaven. You want to get to know your God. Because in Jeremiah, God says, the thing that you should glory in is this. Not riches, not fame, not power, not influence, but that you know God. That's the thing. That's the greatest thing to glory in. That's the best thing you can ever do. That's the highest privilege. That's the summum bonum of our existence, is to know God. There's a lot of things in this world you're going to think, boy, if I had that, boy, if I could do that, if I could be there, if I could visit that, if I could experience this, and I'm telling you they're all rubbish compared to this. It's all rubbish compared to this, compared to knowing God, compared to, well, this intimate relationship with the Lord, as Flavel says, When you walk closely with God, it's like being in the suburbs of heaven. You're not quite there, but you can see it from here. You're close. Why do you see that, sir? That's what the Lord Jesus wants. That's what he wants you to experience. You see, people think of, you know, they think of Christianity as a a drag I don't want to be a Christian because then I, I got to give up this and I got to do that. I take all my pleasures away and lay on me all these onerous burdens. They have no idea. They have no idea that when you become a Christian, finally you're at peace. Finally there's purpose. Finally you know your creator, whom to know is life eternal. And finally, as Augustine said, our hearts are at rest because they found their rest in God. That's just extraordinary. And Christ wants that for us. And that's why he's speaking to you in his word tonight. He wants you to enjoy the pleasures of his presence. 
If he doesn't come to you with a big stick, I'm going to drive you into heaven whether you like it or not. No. He's a gracious God. And that's why you begin to experience more and more. You pant after, the God, after God as the deer pants after the water brooks. And then, you know, Robert Murray McShane said, when he talked about this, who is this, who is this God who's knocking at the door of your heart and saying, let me come in and sup with you? He talks about getting up in the morning to have fellowship with God, to read the scriptures and to pray. And he says, who would not rise early to meet such a friend? Who in their right mind wouldn't bound out of bed to meet such a friend? Well, and then he's personal. This person who wants to meet with us, it's a, it's a personal thing. Because he wants to meet with you, you see. It's not that this verse is designed for Robert Murray McShane and David Martin Lloyd-Jones and John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and people like that, all the, the greats of the Christian world, the, the Fanny Crosbys and the Amy Carmichaels. Well, you know, it's the, uh, it's the elite force of the evangelical world. No, no, this is... This is for us. This is aimed at us. This is directed at us. And let me be more specific. It's directed at you. Because the pronoun that's used here, if anyone hears my voice, it's singular. And so the idea is that he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. He's talking to everybody. He says, now you kind of drifted, and, and there needs to be more intimacy and a more close walk between you and me. And he's talking to the people, and then he says, if anyone hears my voice. So he's talking to all of them, and then he says, if anyone. Yes. <laughs> Scared you. Sorry. So I'm talking to all of you, and then if anyone. So if you respond, I'll come in. So it's very particular. It's very personal. It's precise. How will you respond? That's quite extraordinary. And so, this is the one who stands at the door. This is the one who knocks at the heart of our church. And surely we want, as a church, to walk more closely with our God and, and He's the one who knocks at the door of your heart and mine. And surely I want that, and surely you want that. Well, let me give you three implications. Well, the first is let's search our hearts. Because you see, the question is uh, would the line of that hymn be true of us? Have we, have I, have you? wandered from God? Has your heart grown cold? And you want to pray that the Lord will search your heart and, and that you'll know the state of your soul. We need to take stock sometimes, you know, 
of the state of our hearts and our spiritual, uh, our spiritual state and our walk with God. Take stock and find out. How do you know if, if you've drifted? How do you know if you're lukewarm? How do you know if the fervor has had the edge taken off? I suggest two things. The first is you can ask, am I, am I going through the motions? You know, you can do all kinds of things. You can set up chairs. You can bring the books out. You can work in the nursery. You can do this and that and the other. And you can do it like a robot. You know, you can just go through the motions. Frankly, you can preach and just go through the motions. You know, I can do this. I've been doing it for 40 plus years. I can, I can do this without a great deal of trouble. But I can't do it right without the Lord. So, you know, we can do this. We can go through the motions and you can read the Bible and you can pray and you can worship and, and you can serve and it can be just formal. It can be just, just a little cool. You know, not ice cold because, well, we're saved. I mean, we're Christians. But it can be cool. And so you, you want to ask yourself whether that's, whether that's the case, whether there's some of that creeping in. Or you can ask yourself, am I tolerating or even cherishing sin? And it doesn't have to be, you know, you're not running guns to El Salvador. You're not uh, trafficking in drugs. But you're gossiping, you know, or you're, you're really proud or, you know, your, your, your tongue is, is, is a weapon. And all kinds of things that we, what Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins. And, and so you ask yourself, am I tolerating or even cherishing sins that maybe I didn't before? But you see, now I've drifted some. And so these don't trouble my conscience the way they used to. And so... Uh, search your hearts. We want to search our hearts. And perhaps we, uh, well, perhaps the words of this, um, of this hymn resonate with us. Um, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? What peaceful hours I then enjoyed, how sweet their memory still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. And so you ask yourself, then, you know, what's the state of my heart? So the second thing is to seek the Lord. Well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's a drifting. Or maybe, to the best of your knowledge, no, you're, you're doing all right. But now you say, I want more. Because we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied with what we know of God. We're never satisfied with our walk. We enjoy our walk with God. We're satisfied in that sense. We drink this water, and it does satisfy. But it's the kind of water, the more it satisfies, the more you're thirsty. That's a strange kind of water, this water that satisfies, but stirs up more thirst. Well, that's what it's like to walk closely with the Lord Jesus. The more you enjoy Him, the more you want of Him. 
So you begin, begin to seek him. And you seek him in his word. And you seek him in prayer. And you try to, to grow more in terms of your, your prayer life. You listen to Robert Murray McShane who says, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early and then have family prayer and breakfast and afternoon callers, often it's about 11 or 12 before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. I can do no good to those who come to seek after me um, if, if I uh, fail to meet with God. And so he goes on to say, oh, I need to, I need to pray more. He says, I'm persuaded that I ought to never do anything without prayer and, if possible, special secret prayer. I ought to spend the best times of the day in communion with God. It's my noblest and most fruitful purposes. Well, you see, so he, you seek God in prayer. And then you seek him in his word. You search the scriptures. You know how the beloved searches for her lover in the Song of Solomon and she runs through the city and the town and she's looking for her beloved. Where is my beloved? And you, you're like that in the scriptures and you go seeking Christ. You go running after Christ. You ask each passage, show me something about Christ. Tell me about my beloved. Let me learn something of Jesus. You search the scriptures. It's not, it's not just a, a habit anymore. It's not just mindless, thoughtless, leafing through pages. You're not just reading and then not thinking about it at all. No, no. You want to know more about the Lord Jesus. You're seeking him. You seek him in prayer. And you seek him in his word. John Owen says, live in constant contemplation of the glory of Christ. Now, how do you live in constant contemplation of the glory of Christ? That just sounds like something monkish. You need to be a Franciscan and be closeted away somewhere, separated from people, all on your own, so you can constantly contemplate the glory of Christ. Well, it's, it's nothing like that at all. It's being at the throne of grace, and it's being in the word of Christ. And then in the scriptures, and you search the scriptures, and you, you take verses with you into the world. You take verses with you into your day. And when you have a free moment, you meditate on it, and you contemplate it, and you look at it from different angles, because now you're looking at the glory of Christ. So... You search your hearts and then seek the Lord. And then lastly, believe on Christ. Because you see, there are some people here, uh, I've no doubt there are some here and some listening who just don't know Christ. It's not a matter of now deepening a relationship because frankly there isn't one. And you know, the Lord Jesus knocks at your heart as well. And he's knocking so that there might be a relationship. A man, um, an English pastor wrote this. 
He said, it's the greatest privilege in the world to have Jesus at your door. But it's the greatest damnation in the world for him to stay there. There are people who week after week after week after week, the Lord Jesus knocks at the door of their heart, urges them to open up so that he might save them. And they never do. And they die in their sin. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11 said that their judgment will be greater than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Imagine that. Those cities, they epitomize evil for us. But the judgment will be greater upon those who have sat in Christian churches and heard the gospel time after time after time and walked away, stuck their fingers in their ears and rejected Christ every single time. Their judgment will be greater than that of Sodom. How appalling. How horrific. And how tragic if it's you. So as I say, the last implication here is you need to believe in Christ. He's knocking, he's given you another opportunity tonight to believe in him for the saving of your soul. Well, may God grant that. Uh, oh, listen to this again. It's, a, it's the greatest privilege in the world to have Jesus at your door, but the greatest damnation in the world for him to stay there. Let him not stay there. Open the door and let him come in and save you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, how we thank you for the grace and the glory of our great Savior. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and pray that even tonight there will be those here or elsewhere who are saved by his grace. And then, our Father, grant also that we who know and love him and we who are his people might begin to walk ever more closely with him, ever more intimately, so that we might delight in him and he might draw near to us. We ask for these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.